We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. The CV, CV Report. TPS Report. The CV Report. Give us one word to describe what you're going through right now. Sucky. <laughs> yeah. I know it's just a Nissan Frontier, but in my mind, this thing's an M1 Abrams tank. Honey, take the wheel. I'm going to stick my head out of the sunroof. Look, any self-respecting veteran should grow a beard and have a belly. That's the dumbest thing I've heard all day. Like, if we're going to start getting angry now, it's it's a little late. Is live in D.C. with the update on all of this. Good morning. Maybe. I guess not. The CV Report. All right, welcome to the CV Report. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. We're powered today by Radio.com, your top free radio app for sports, music, news, talk, streaming over 300 radio stations and thousands of podcasts. Listen live anytime, anywhere. And it's easy to find. Look for it at Radio.com. Now, our guest today is the author of the book, The Warrior Code. She's been a co-host of a Fox reality TV show, American Grit, and she's an entrepreneur. But before achieving any of those things, she was a gunny in the Marine Corps. She's T. Marie Hannibal. Now, when I recently sat down with her, I was expecting an interesting conversation about her book, and I was hoping to get a few tips on how we can all unleash our inner badass. Literally, it said that on the cover, so I was like, yeah, I got to know more about that. But what I didn't expect was that I would end up having a conversation about a truly inspiring life. And a conversation with someone that, from the second we met, I felt was really giving me personal life advice. Open your ears and open your mind, because I know you're going to love what she has to say. Hey, this is T. Marie Hannibal. Gunnery Sergeant, retired from the United States Marine Corps, URA, author of The Warrior Code, 11 Principles to Unleash the Badass Inside of You. I can tell by that intro, I'm on like this interview, I think. This really? is going to be good. Yeah, you're, you're my gun Marine. You're, you're getting all this frustration for being on the road for three hours. <laughs> and what is this? All right, Gunny, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I like it anytime I can get, you know, a badass Marine in here. Yeah. And then when in looking at you, I know America sees book covers or sees you on TV, which we'll get into, and they often think like, oh, wow, there's a lovely lady. There's yeah. a there's a nice, reserved, well-dressed lady. We're a little crazy, though. You we, are we're a little, little crazy. <laughs> but we own it, so that's a good thing. We own our crazy, but we are a little crazy, so don't let the pretty face fool you. All right, well, I like the crazy, and I'll read from your bio real quick, but uh, you're a mother, a Marine, a philanthropist, an entrepreneur. 
entrepreneur, a former reality star, and just a few words that have gone to describe you, a decorated gunnery sergeant of the Marine Corps, T. Marie Hannibal. we got lots to get into today, so let's jump right into it. Before we get into the books and before we get into TV on Fox and knowing people like John Cena and having people like Alyssa Milano recommend read your book and all the friends you have, uh, you come from some humble beginnings. So share with me a little bit about growing up. I guess, first of all, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. So love Chicago, but I grew up in what people see on the news and on the TV. Yeah. That was my life. That was my everyday battle rhythm, so to speak. Mm. Uh, so I landed into foster care at the age of 10 months. My father was uh, killed on the street. My brother was two. He was there when it happened. And immediately we were taken from my mom and put into foster care. So that, that was the start of my life. Amen. So crazy. Yeah. And I mean, like the names come to mind, you know, we hear Chirac, we hear Cabrini Greens, we've heard, uh, you know, about all those things. And, and oftentimes you think it's nature versus nurture. You think some, some folks uh, inherit a zip code that kind of drives their life. Mm -hmm. And for you, it wasn't that way. Um, You took a different path in schooling from what I've read. You went to a different type of school or maybe. Oh yeah. So I don't know if zip code kind of drives you, but I do think uh, sometimes you become a product of your environment. So in high school, I was kicked out of high school, uh, truth be told. I was told not to come back to any of Chicago public school systems. So that's how bad I was back in the day. <laughs> um, immediately, I was put into what's called a uh, alternative military type school ran by the National Guard unit out there. Huh. So I, I got to experience the military a little early on in life, prior to boot camp. So that was my, my start of, I guess you could say, kind of going down the, the path of the military a little bit. Yeah. yeah and yeah. kind of seeing what it is for the first time up close and personal with the uniforms and the early wake-up calls. Oh, right, right. Chow goes at this time and making your racks on a daily basis. So I kind of had my own taste of boot camp before I was even 16. So. Wow. At the time when you first got enrolled in that program, were you resistant to it or did it eventually kind of feel like a comfortable normal for you? Um, I don't know if I was resistant. I think at that time being a 16 year old, you're trying to, um, you, you know, you've effed up, right? You right. know, you've effed up big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anytime you're told not to come back to any Chicago public school system. So for me, it was, hey, this is my second chance. This is my mm. possible redemption. And maybe I can kind of turn it around and make my mom proud of me type moment. Nice. Like if I could just get through here, maybe I can make her not look at me with tears in her eyes, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that was my opening and my welcome to the military world. So I wasn't really resistant to it. Didn't know what I didn't know, but I was I was ready for the challenge, I think. All right. Well, no surprise. After all those experiences, we find our way to the path of uh, the Marine Corps Recruiting Office. Tell me about that journey. So we found our way to the path of the Air Force Recruiting Office. Um, my first thing, I was not set out to be a Marine. I tell people this all the time. Um, and when I say it, I don't mean that, you know, on God's journey, that's what he wanted me to do. In my mind, I had a specific path. I was going to join the Navy. I was going to join the Air Force. I was there waiting just to 
sit down and talk to a recruiter. My brother, who had joined the Marine Corps about a year and a half before me, his recruiter locked eyes with me. He remembered me from coming to the house to get those parental consent forms. Yeah, yeah. And he kind of pulled me into his office. Hey, those recruiters are out to chow, but I got you. Come have a seat here. So that's how the process started on the Marine Corps side of the house. Once I got all the, the benefit tags laid out to me, the oohs and the ahs, and this is what life can be. Right. I went home and I was so full of excitement. I knew my path. I had a plan. I called my big brother who was stationed at Camp Lejeune at the time. And I said, guess what? I'm joining the Marine Corps. And he says, no, you're not. <laughs> go back and talk to the Air Force recruiter. Go back and talk to the Navy recruiter. You're not joining the Marine Corps. You're not Marine Corps material. So in my eyes, that was like, challenge like challenge accepted yeah you're not better than me if that's what you mean and then he goes into you don't like to take direction which I didn't Um, you don't like to be told what to do on a constant basis which I don't (laughs) so um, like you said that turned into my challenge Um, how dare you tell me what I can't Mm -hmm. do when you're doing it so if you can do it guess what I'm gonna do it too so I stayed the course with the Marine Corps, did all my stuff, all my paperwork and everything, and here I am. Quite a journey, because I know you made it through the crucible, you make it through combat training, you stand on the yellow footprints, you, mm-hmm. you know, you get your shiny anchor globe and, and, mm-hmm. and eagle, and, and, and that's just a huge moment. When you were in it, I always ask this of female Marines especially, do you think it was... Harder for you because, and this is what I've heard from other female Marines, there's nothing scarier than a Marine woman with a chip on her shoulder pushing you through basic training. Was it harder than you'd imagined? or? Now, keep in mind, when I ask this question, I'm only answering based off my experience. Yeah. Um, I didn't have a problem with that. Hmm. And I didn't have a problem, and it got so bad because I wasn't, that because the Marine Corps, you all know, and boot camp is designed to break you down, break you down to zero, and build you back up stronger. I couldn't be broken down. So halfway through, uh, I think we we're right around the rifle range, or right before the rifle range. Halfway through boot camp, I was made to switch my platoon. So now I had trained with all of these women for so many weeks, and now I get told that I'm being voted off the island. To go to the other platoon, which was, you know, the, the sister platoon, the platoon that you always pit it up against. The every, oh, okay. So it was, okay. in my eyes, the enemy. <laughs> um, so because I couldn't <clears throat> get broken down or they couldn't get to me, and I was always, I'm not going to say the bad recruit. I'm going to say I was the fun recruit. <laughs> I was the, uh, I was, everything was funny. I was easy to adapt. Yeah, It wasn't too many things because you got to understand, I grew up again on the south side of Chicago with a mom who made me say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. She was from the south. Mm. So I had to get up every morning and make my bed. That was nothing new. Um, Come the weekends, you're doing chores. There is no questions about it. You're going to do your work. Everyone's pulling their own weight. So for me, and then keep in mind, I went to military school too. Sure, sure. So I already had that kind of in my you know, arsenal, so to speak. 
So for me, that part of it wasn't hard. It was the um, bearing. <laughs> <laughs> the military bearing. The, oh, yeah. That military bearing. I never quite uh, <laughs> got that down. I'm working on it still. Um, but it was the, the things that you're expected to do, the locked and caught, the yep. listen, the shut up and fly what, right? I would do that, but I had fun with it. So I wasn't that typical recruit that was scared of the drill instructor. I'm saying, yeah, no fear factor. They could I had not, no fear factor. Yeah, they, there you go. Well, that's that's an interesting dynamic. That uh, yeah. yeah, I I, and I think I've I'm never the only person to ever be switched recruits from what I'm from uh, platoons from what I'm told. That was another thing you can add to my list <laughs> of accomplishments. <laughs> and it wouldn't be long before you added even more to that list of accomplishments and your deployment. Tell me about that. Now, that one was a doozy. That was, um, we all sat down. I remember being in my office and watching the uh, towers come down. Mm -hmm. At that time, I was a sergeant. I was a sergeant. I remember being on the phone with my buddies. My buddies calling me, and everyone's on the phone with their family or their buddies at the time. Everyone's watching it unfold on the news, and you're just met with a sense of, oh, my God, for lack of a better term. What's going on? Oh, hell yeah. You know, and you start to recognize the uniform a little bit more. Whereas before the war, it was like you're doing your nine to five job. You come in, you do your job, you go through the motions, you mm -hmm. go to chow, you get your PME out the way. But it was the normal batterism. Yeah. So for me being a young Marine who had never experienced going off to war or seeing somebody go off to war, you're hit with this sense of, okay, this is it. This is literally what I signed up for. Although it may have had the extra benefits of the travel and adventure and the education benefits. This is it right here. This is D-Day. And I remember at that time I was a single mom with my oldest, who's 21 now. Um, I remember going to my OIC, my chief warrant officer, and asking, sir, let me be on this next deployment that's going out. Can I be on the advance party? And I remember him being so steadfast, not no, but hell no. And in his defense, he, he came from more of the guy side where you're protected of the females a little bit. Sure. Recognizing I'm still a Marine, but he also recognized you have a young child at home. We don't know what this is going to turn into. I'm going to say no right now. Hmm. So, um, Sneaky T, <laughs> that person from boot camp, um, what we used to do at the time, we created what's called the TO. So you create your manifest, basically. You, you kind of, along with uh, working under the general, you take what his goals are for a unit that's going to be forward deployed mm -hmm. and what they're looking for as far as billets and you put it together and you outsource it. So my job was in a, was to outsource these billets, mm -hmm. so to speak. So here I am and I'm looking and I see, lo and behold, a billet that fits. Now, when I say fits, at the time I was admin and, hey, it's looking for a sergeant or a staff sergeant. We all know one up, one down world in the world of military. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I went ahead and typed my name into the TO, just like I would for anyone else that's sending me, you know, submitting me their names from their units, their battalions. I typed my name in, 
and it kept going up the chain. It, it got typed in, and it went to the Gunny's inbox. They looked it over. Then it went back to that chief warrant officer inbox, the same one who told me, hell no. So here he is, and now he's really looking because he goes line by line. He was never missing a beat. Okay, okay. And he sees my name. And all hell broke loose. <laughs> and I get called into his office, and I knew. I knew this was that moment. Right, right, he right. caught it. And, of course, I had to stand my ground, and we kept going back and forth. And mind you, I'm a sergeant. Right. He's at that time a chief warrant officer three. And we're going back and forth, and he's telling me all the reasons why no is no, and this is why he said no. And I'm telling him all the reasons on why I can do this. And I just need an opportunity for him to let me do this. I'm telling him I got the family care plan. I got this. I got that. So I'm kind of cutting him off, and I'm knowing everything he's going to bring up. So I'm able to say, okay, this is how I'm going to battle that. This is what I got for that. Right, right. I got it. Took two days. Additional, two more additional days, and then he finally said, okay, thumbs up. Wow. Finally. <laughs> and I remember being on, like, pins and needles all the way up to that moment of, okay, he's going to let me go. He's not going to let me go. And he finally came back and said, you know what? You want this bad enough? Let's go. Mm. Here's your time. Just comparing that to where we are today, 2019, do you think things are a little different for women wanting a mm. combat deployment right now? Because we've gone through, that was what? Days after 9-11. Now was. we've had 16 years of needing new bodies and next man, next woman up. Um, do you think that a, a woman in your position would experience the same kind of hurdle no, today? No, I definitely say no. Um, added to the fact that I just had one of those guys that was just, I guess for lack of a better term, a man's man. He He didn't believe the female couldn't be in the military, but he almost felt like it was his duty to protect us mm, yeah you know um nowadays there's so many kick-ass and badass women out there and we've been doing it like you said for so many years yeah yeah it's like a no-brainer sitting right. out there you know so yeah i think we're good now i oh. think uh, the days of having to beg for a position based off of you being a female are over at least I'm hoping in that regard. I mean, are. we're taking steps closer to we right, are. at least. We are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, if I can ask, where was your fob? Where did you end up? So I, I ended up in Kuwait. Um, we were the Advon party. Yeah, so yeah. first off, we ended up in Kuwait. That was the transition in for us. So we were the Advon party, and I was on what's called the uh, AOE. So our job was to bring in all the gear, all the personnel as they come in and create these units. Not only were we doing that, but logistically we had people that was kind of helping set up where these units were going to be, where this battalion was going to fall, where this yep. battalion was going to fall. And keep in mind, we went out there when it was desert days. So we're talking no Burger King like they had now. Um, big old paint cans to be used as the toilets, um, cardboard boxes, everything was makeshift. We didn't even have Porter John. So for me being the only female at that time, if I needed to go take care of my business, yeah. I tried to wait to the dark hours of night, <laughs> walk out, all the way out, do my business, and then come on back. So we were, we're talking those kind of days. Wow. So um, after we set up, then we started getting, kind of being placed back with our units. 
Mm-hmm. So then I got a chance to go forward deploy with the invasion and I belonged to the G1 and we went forward deploy with the CG. And I remember the night of the invasion going into Iraq and you just hear, you see all the green bursts of light. You, you hear the noise, but everything's so really eerily quiet. It's like, you know, it's going on and this is the invasion. This is it. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like a slow motion kind of feel to it. Like a, quiet serene feeling and i remember like i said i was a sergeant at that first time and my driver was a lance corporal so here i am the a driver for the lance corporal and i'm just trying to keep him focused and i remember talking about our families and all of that but we're still doing it following this convoy we're holding Mm -hmm. these conversations i'm trying to keep him calm and unbeknownst to him he's keeping me calm (laughs) And we're just going out into the dead of night. No headlights, no nothing. You're just following the truck behind you. So there's just a slow progression. Yeah. And I think that was the moment that I realized, what the hell did you sign up for? That was that moment, you know. There's no turning back at this point. It's not like, oh, I made a mistake. Chief Morrison McFadder, can I come back? (laughs) So there's none of that. You You just pray on it. You just make sure that your unit have each other back. And, and as a female, as when you're the only female, you can't, you can't almost be a female, if that makes sense. You, you can't show any signs of hesitation mm. or being scared, I feel like. Um, there is no, even if the male Marines are talking about their family and how much they miss their kids, as a female, you almost feel like you can't do that. Hmm. because it's almost it's showing your weakness a little bit. You're, hmm. you're showing your hand. So there's that part of it that I dealt with, too. And you were in the very early chapters of a story that would go on to have, you know, a lot. Multiple years behind <laughs> Multiple it. years and many more women that would follow you and experience very similar things. Um, I find I'm always taken when I hear these stories that, like, there's kind of a an equalization moment. Uh, when the oh shit moment happens and you're in combat, I, I I hear from women and men alike that the gender differences kind of stop. And like you talked about with the Lance Corporal, you just start talking like people because for 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 that hot minute or that convoy, uh, you're you're not man talking to woman. You're a couple Marines and you you're both right. are experiencing it with the green glow, the NVGs, the same way. The same way. And we both have the same emotions running through mm-hmm. us. But that's why I always tell people, especially people who haven't really experienced the military and they have these viewpoints, these jaded viewpoints of females shouldn't be doing this and males should be doing this, but females should be back here doing this. When you're out there, it doesn't matter what's under your pants. It doesn't yeah. matter. You are in a mission. You are a part of a mission. Your job is to focus on the Marine, the the sailor, mm-hmm. the airman, soldier that's next to you, whether it's male or female. So there's no moment of, oh, she's a chick or right. this dude here. There's none of that. You, your focus isn't even wired that way at this point now. Now, do you think when you get into some of the other kinds of action, and this is just not your experience specific, but I'm, you know, thinking of like, you know, a lot of the engagements we were in, Ramadi, Sadr City, Mm -hmm. Mosul, I mean, all those areas. Uh, Do you think when the bullets are flying, do you think Marines and soldiers have a moment where if they were with 
another soldier that was a woman that they might for a second slip and not be checking the point or the perimeter and worried about who's to their left or right because they are a woman? Or do you think that holds true even, even you know, when it gets loud and ugly? I think there's two ways to look at it. Um, human nature is human nature. You know, your ability to to want to be that protected, especially, and I'm, I'm not generalizing anyone, but I find this to be true when you're raised in the South. You kind of hmm. raised that way where your job is to be the protected of the house. Sure. You know, the man of the house. Uh, while the women folk are here, you're the one that's answering the door when it's a late night knock. You're the one when there is a noise in the house. You're the one that's going downstairs to check it out. Wait here, honey. I'll go. Exactly. I'll, I'll go investigate. So there's points where you may have that. And like I said, I don't think it's a matter of them thinking any lesser. I just think that goes with just the human nature, human nature mm. part of people in general. And there's women like that, too. If you see a child, even if it's not your child yeah. about to get hit by a car, you're going to run out and protect that child. Right. So that's just the human nature part of it. But there's also those that, you know, hey, it's every man for himself. Get your shit. Let's go. So there's not any of that. Hey, let me carry this for you. Let me make sure you got this. No, it's you got the word. Everyone got the word at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what needs to happen. <laughs> Get your shit, let's go. Hmm. So it's kind of twofold, I think. I think that's a really fascinating answer to that because it's not so much rooted in a gender base as it mm -hmm. is kind of a cultural base. Right. And it's we are all creatures that were raised a certain way with a certain mindset and how we react to situations, whether they're combat or whether they're traumas in regular life. Uh, dictated by that person that we became very early on based upon our cultural upbringing. Exactly. And a cultural upbringing can steer the jib of a man or a woman, depending on how you were raised. Exactly. Uh, totally interesting. Totally interesting. And I think it's probably why, as you then will fast forward now past military life into uh, when you came back, mm -hmm. I think it's why you make such a powerful writer, such a powerful mentor. And I'm curious, which came first? Was it Wanting to write a book, or was it your engagement with Operation Heroes Connect? Ooh. No one's ever asked me that question. Look at you. Um, That's one for the Navy right there. <laughs> Navy. Because we're the mind. <laughs> so um, so I had an idea look of at, writing a book. Look at Nana book. sitting across the studio <laughs> laughing. She's all about the Air Force. You stop. So I had an idea of writing a book, and I did work with you when I was stationed in Michigan. Right. The book was nothing like what it is now. It was literally a, I want to put out a book of poetry. So that's where I was with this. <laughs> different mindset, different person, different tea. Um, so I guess you could say mentor came first. Wanting um, to be a mentor, yeah. Wanting to be a mentor. And, and wanting to be a mentor is not always displayed in starting a nonprofit. Sometimes it's displayed in seeing these young Marines like in a bind and you wanting to assist in any way you can. Or you want to help get them out of that bind and help them move forward in a positive way. So it doesn't always mean let's go start a nonprofit and da da da. Right, right. So I think wanting to be a mentor came first. Um, and I think that came as early as maybe ooh, before boot camp. 
Um, but I guess if I had to put a finger on it, I guess I would say like recruiting duty when you're working with kids yeah. and you're finding all these eligible uh, applicants or even uneligible applicants that you know you can't even put in your military, but you still want to kind of get them on the right path because now you've come to know these kids. Mm-hmm. So I think that's may have been where it started or kind of kickstarted a little bit for me. Let's talk about Operation Heroes Connect, because certainly you had it within you to become a great mentor and and and, and to do all that. Um, what is it that the work is focused on? So I mentioned that, of course, I'm a product of uh, foster care and then later on adoption. What I failed to mention was my mom, my foster mom, who later became my adopted mom, she had fostered over 40-something kids. Oh, God bless and that was just her thing. She wanted to be a positive light. She wanted to help out these kids. And they were kids that would come and go. You know, their families just needed to get back on their feet. So maybe temporarily they needed to be taken out of the home. Or these could be families that, or kids that was probably going to be permanently in foster care. But as long as she could keep them or watch for them and care for them, she wanted to be that foster mom to them. So I think that kind of harbored a little light in me to want to um, be a light for somebody else. Very cool. These kids who may not have the same opportunities. I know growing up in Chicago, I didn't even learn how to swim until I got to boot camp. I had never even been in a swimming pool until Marine Corps (laughs) boot camp. So there are a lot of kids that are in the same situation and people just don't realize it because while you're living in your AO and your neck of the woods, there are other kids that mm-hmm. are not living in the same kind of upbringing that you may have been used to. So, um, which is why my, my focus has always been inner city youth. Okay. Because I feel like those, that's what we need to make more of an influence. albeit a positive one, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so she kind of harbored that in me. And I remember sitting up in bed one night. I had applied to be a part of Big Brother, Big Sister. I had did some stuff in Michigan that I loved doing and having my own mentee in Michigan. And when I got stationed here at the Quantico area, I remember applying for Big Brother, Big Sister. There was a six-month waiting list in this program, a year waiting list at this program. And I'm like, well, crap, I'm only going to be here three years. Like, I just want to help out some kids. So I remember posing a question and being on Facebook one night and saying, what if I started my own nonprofit? And everybody on my friends list started pinging in. You should do it. What's stopping you? I would help if you did it. Like you get all that kind of positive feedback. So it kind of gives you the ammunition to feel like, okay, I can do this. I got this. And lo and behold, Operation Heroes Connect was born. Mm. And it's a beautiful mission, combining military and the veterans mm-hmm. with uh, youth that mm-hmm. come from these, you know, diverse backgrounds right. and frankly needy backgrounds where we can help them and use a little bit of that military bearing that whether we wanted to inherit it or not, T, I'm looking at you, right, right. Uh, you know, we, we can really help them come up right and see opportunity. And right. I think sometimes just seeing somebody that looks like you or acts like you or yes. came for you specifically came from situations right. like you. What a beautiful marriage because there you can really provide realistic hope, not just something that a kid will look at and be like, oh, yeah, that's just a pamphlet exactly. or that's just a TV commercial. It's exactly. just not like that where I live. 
you're able yeah. to say, I, I wore your shoes. I yeah. walked this block. I did these things. Now look at me now. Now let's see about you doing a turnaround. Let's see how we can get you there. So I think seeing kids or kids seeing people that represent where they've been in life or where they are in life is really, really, really important these days. Kids, believe it or not, are very smart. Some <laughs> kids, some of these kids are smarter than me. They think of things that are way outside any boxes that I could have thought of. Yeah. So kids have a, have a way of seeing through your bullshit when they feel like it's bullshit. And kids have a way of gravitating towards those that they can relate to as opposed to those that they mm-hmm. feel like they have nothing in common with. So, yeah, Operation Heroes Connect was definitely a big thing for me, especially growing up and not feeling like I had a voice. I used to, and, and nothing against my adopted family. I love them to pieces. But sometimes when you know you don't really fit in or you know you weren't a part of the bloodline or right. you know you look different or you, you have a way of kind of looking at it like, um, who do I talk to? Right, who right. can relate to me? So good thing for me and my mom, she had all these foster kids that we had kind of like the shared story. So growing up, it's like I had all these additional brothers and sisters, too, who were going through things that put them into this home as well. Mm. So, yeah. Amazing. Amazing journey. Amazing where it all started. Thank you for sharing that. That's a lot more than I thought because you hear about (laughs) charitable organizations and sometimes it's just like there's a need and there's a cause. Yours has a whole novella kind of with it. And that's that's just beautiful. Um, Let's talk about books. Uh, You're not just helping kids, but you're helping us grown folk. And helping you grown folk. I really, all us grown folk. I really liked uh, how it's described, and, and, and I'll just read a little bit from the jacket, but it says in the Warrior Code, entrepreneur, philanthropist, reality star, and retired gunnery sergeant team Marie Hannibal serves up 11 principles to awaken your inner badass and thrive in the face of adversity. If that's not something we can all use, I don't know what is. Um, it definitely is. What are a few things that uh, can beat us back? From realizing our true potential. Ooh, something that beats me back. I always, always try to speak honestly. Because even though I say I'm this warrior. A warrior isn't someone who's arrived. And now I've claimed the title. No you still got to put in that constant everyday work. To maintain where you want to be. And maintain where you're headed to. So for me. Um, I was one of those people. That get in your own way. Um, even. Through my early years, yes, I had a lot of stuff that happened to me, but I was also the cause of a lot of things happening to me. Right. So we can't negate the fact that sometimes we're our own worst enemy in life, Uh, whether it's it's self-doubt, whether it's hanging with the wrong people, doing the wrong things at the wrong time, or not applying yourself. We must admit to our own shortfalls. And I'm very open and honest to a lot of my shortfalls coming in and growing up in Chicago and then Mm -hmm. coming up the ranks. So I think most importantly, always be mindful of just because you set a goal does not mean that it's a goal that you're going to achieve overnight. It's a marathon, you know, Um, the marathon continues. And just because you are around these people that you've known for years, 
grew up with, went to high school with, started out your military careers with, they may not always be the people you need to continue to be around for years to come, if that makes sense. Hmm. So um, I found that I had to push myself outside of my own comfort and surround myself with positive light, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a saying that you're only... If you're the smartest person in your circle, you need to find a new circle. And I think that's very true because those people that, you know, you, you have these ties with are not necessarily the people that are going to continue to help you build and become your best you. Mm. And by being around them, that doesn't really necessarily help you be your best you. I have friends that are still in Chicago to still do their thing. And when I go home to visit, I love them. But I have friends that some I have to love from a distance because I can't get into that lifestyle with them. I mm. can't do those things with them and still have these goals that I've set up for myself. It's not going to work out. I like that too. And I see how that's applicable, not even to just necessarily needing a whole new circle of friends, but let's say you have a business venture idea and like your intimate close circle are folks that have never really been experienced entrepreneurs. Well, they might just be pointing out, oh, well, that's going to be hard. Well, you can't mm -hmm. do that there. Oh, well, you're never going to get a permit for that piece of land. Well, you don't know anything about running a, a you know, you want to be a farmer. You've never grown anything. What do you mean? How are you going to be a farmer? They'll just sort of, even your spouse yeah. could even sometimes be that one that might be supportive and loving in one way right. but when you want to grow when you want to tackle it when you want to achieve something you might need to surround yourself for that particular project with a whole new set yeah absolutely right i huh. just did a speaking engagement and one of the things we talked about was finding your mentor and a mentor doesn't always have to be someone who looks like you acts like you but a mentor one of your mentors should always be somewhere someone who's where you're trying to go mm-hmm and if you can't find someone that's where you're trying to go, how do you even know you're on the right path? How do you even know what questions to ask? How do you even have someone that you can kind of shoot the shit with, for lack of a better term, yeah, and say, yeah, yeah. hey, am I doing this right? Or what do you think? And although, yes, you make your own decisions in life, having someone, for me personally, I've never written a book in my life. <laughs> I don't know what this means, what these number breakdowns are, what that means, but I'm smart enough to know that I probably need to be talking to someone who's already walked this walk already. So yeah, yeah, yeah. same thing, same, same exact concept. You have to continue to grow and therefore your circle has to continue to grow or you become stagnant. I love it. Uh, I wrote down here another question to ask is uh, what are things we can do to realize our in own our own innate strength? Um, are we creatures that have all these skills, talents, and abilities that we don't even know about and we don't do anything to maximize them? I mean, is that the human condition? It is. I'm lazy. I will. I will be the first to admit I am lazy, <laughs> lazy, and I love my downtime. Yeah. But when when your goals become so big. So the, the, I think the biggest thing about it is to have that goal. If you don't have a goal, then you're going to remain lazy. You're going to be comfortable in where you are. You're not even looking to grow because this is what you want. Mm -hmm. However, when you create a goal for yourself, whether it's being, I'm going to lose 20 pounds this week, or I'm going to get that new promotion that they just had an opening for, 
when you set up that goal and you keep that goal in sight and you be you make everything that leads up to that goal your daily batterism that's how you accomplish that's how you become and you beat that person that's weighing yourself and of course that person is me <laughs> right right you, you beat that person out that laziness that wants to kick in that that feeling of okay i'll do it tomorrow or i'll go next week it's probably crowded anyway you beat that person out because you're doing these steps, these everyday steps, these everyday movements that's going to get you closer and closer to that overall goal anyway. So that's the key to it. Even if it's some little things, even if it's just walking right, right, to right. the clubhouse in your community or um, going in that gym for maybe 20 minutes, maybe an hour isn't just where you're at right now. But that 20 minutes. I'm a, I'm a 20 minute in the gym guy. I don't know if you noticed. I'm that 20 <clears throat> minutes lead to a world of difference. Right so on. you got to find your little steps, but you got to be continuous. Now, throughout your career, what did you do to overcome the self-doubt? Because I've talked to a lot of people from, you know, the grunts all the way up to the special operators. And I've noticed between all of them. There's self-doubt. Sometimes we are our own worst critic. We are the one that says, I can't do this. This might not work. I want to start this business, but uh, I, I just don't know. What did you do? I did it scared. Um, <laughs> do it scared. I tell people all the time. Sometimes I do something that's so beyond my comfort zone that I'm emotional. I'm shaking the day of, and I want to make that final call and be like, oh, I think I'm going to cancel this. But I do it anyway. I do it scared. I give myself that little pep talk before I get out the car. I go to the bathroom before I sit down with the interviewer. And I, I, I build on that, that, that feeling of fear. I let that kind of propel me towards what I want to do. I don't let it eat me up. And I know it's going to be there regardless of what I do. Even if I buy a new pair of pants that I've never worn before, it's going to be that slight feeling of fear that's going to fit my hips right. But when you do it anyway, you do it in the face of fear, you've kind of taken that and used it to your advantage because you're letting that propel you mm. instead of letting it stop you. So a lot of my things I do, I do shaking. I do with tears in my eyes. I do with, okay, please pray for me, y'all. <laughs> you would see a random post. Please, I'm okay. Don't ask no crazy <laughs> questions. Everybody's okay. Just pray for me. That is amazing. And I do it anyway. And, you know, it's amazing to hear that because uh, where I saw you in doing research for this, but actually saw it a year and a half ago when it was out. Mm -hmm. But to see you with John Cena on Fox's American Grit and you're coaching and helping people uh, get through challenges, but really help realize their dreams in life, too. Right. Every contestant on that show was was pushing and trying to make their world better and make their life dream come true. I'd have never guessed that you were doing some of that or you got involved in doing some of that scared. Oh, they give you a lot of makeup. <laughs> <laughs> you get a makeup artist and all of that. They, you they cover just, all that fear up. They powder the fear right out. Yeah, That's awesome. But, yeah. When you do it scared, you, you, you've you taken any ammunition away from anybody else. There's all the naysayers, all the haters. Hey, I'm going to do this any, anyway. Mm. I'm going to do this thing anyway because guess what? If I don't, who else is going to do it? And if I don't, then I'm just going to regret it anyway. So why not? We well, got me. I'm <laughs> sold. I absolutely love it. 
Gunny T. Marie Hannibal, your book is The Warrior Code, 11 Principles to Unleash the Badass Inside of You. And uh, it's out everywhere. Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, iTunes, Audibles, anywhere you find yes, books. it's Go everywhere. Ahead and get it. Walmart and, even picked it up. And Target just picked it up. So it's everywhere. I got so no go excuse not to get, get it. it. No excuses. Nope. I really appreciate it because just what I've gleaned from our 40 minutes together here has been powerful as all get out, and I can't thank you enough for sharing it with me. I mean, I feel it right here. It's just awesome. And when the mics are off, I got a couple private questions I want to ask you about how to realize my dreams. Because based on what you said here, uh, you know, there's some advice I can take to the bank. Okay, okay. Well, that's that's always a bonus for any interview. If I can leave something positive, <laughs> then I've done something great, and it was all worth. It. Wonderful. We'll look for you. We can follow you on Facebook as well. Yes. At- uh, you can follow me on Twitter, The Real T Marie. You can follow me on Instagram, The Real T Marie. And on Facebook, it just says T Marie. And it's the one with the blue check. And Amen. Gunny, <laughs> the pleasure was mine. Really appreciate you. Thank you for having me. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.